Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of the Film Design Podcast. I've been your host, Max Lincoln, and I'd like to quickly say thank you to our guests in the series, Christopher Melgram, Dalia Gellett-Collins, Bobby Nichols, Nicholas Foliotes, Neve Coulter, Mark Connell, Maxwell Fine, Noam Piper, Rebecca Alloway, Simon Morrissey, and today's guest, Karina Burrow-Floyd, who has just happened to have been the production buyer on two favourite films of mine, which are The Double and A Knight's Tale. It's been an absolute pleasure creating season one with some fantastic guests, and I look forward to coming back for a second season. If anyone's interested in getting involved and talking on the podcast, please get in contact via our Instagram, which is at Film Design Podcast. All the best and enjoy the show. Karina Burrow is a film and TV production buyer for features such as Mary Queen of Scots, The King's Speech, which was Oscar and BAFTA nominated for design, and personal favourites, A Knight's Tale and The Double. So I'm a production buyer, uh, working in film and TV, and my role is working very closely with a set decorator um, and we together go through the script, look at uh, the locations or the builds, just work out a budget and my job is looking after that budget and sourcing all the uh, various props, pieces that are required for the film. How did you get to where you are today? So going way back, um, I studied textiles, um, left art school, ended up working, doing um, window display at Harrods for a a year and a bit. And then I started working at Farley's, which is a prop house in uh, London, and got to meet all the various buyers and set decorators and decided that I wanted to be the other side of the desk. And having had that year and a half working there, I'd met enough people to help me start my my journey in film. As a buyer, you're starting a new job, um, working with a set decorator and a production designer. Um, how How do you begin? Like you've now received a script, like what's the first point for you? So reading through the script, um, looking at any visuals that have been uh, produced by the art department, looking at locations, if locations have been chosen, or builds, um, working very closely with the supervising art director, getting as much information as you can from them. Um, And then if it's uh, a period film, doing a lot of research into getting it right. And if it's a uh, a futuristic film, working out how you can create that image with what is available. So talking about futuristic films, you were on the most recent of the Star Wars movies. Now that's got quite, I guess, quite a lore to it and a lot of fanboys have their own idea of how the world should be. How do you 
create something new within such a, a well-known universe, I guess, when you're looking for buying props? Well, that was, that's the tricky thing because your basic, the, the basic principle was when we started on the last Star Wars, it was such um, the pressure to, to give it that authentic Star Wars look you have to go back to the 1970s. So it's so we did a lot of research into what 1970s tech was like. We bought a lot of things like soda streams from the 1970s, which with a little bit of love and attention, you can turn into anything you want to. Um, and, and not being too slick, being a little bit crude with some of the makes, um, really helped i mean we'd went to lots of markets lots of breakers um it's amazing what you can do with the most simple things bits of car engines and pipes i mean a lot of pipe we used in star wars i we spent a hell of a lot of money on pipe um but yeah harking back to that 1970s film was the the key did you end up looking at, I mean, I'm a big fan of specifically kind of 70s dystopian films like, um, I don't know, Logan's Run and all those kind of Sonic Green Mad ones. Did you end up looking at those as well or did you just mm-hmm. kind of stick within the Star Wars kind of world? We really stuck to the Star We had Star Wars playing on, on TV screens on a constant loop and... Uh, we were fortunate some of the, t- some, one of the team was actually was a runner on one of the originals oh, wow. for a bit. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the, there was so much information out there and trying to get it right for the, for the fans was the crucial thing. And JJ was every little detail he wanted to be involved in. Um, there was a lot of love out there and you just got to get it right. Yeah. Did you find that, I know show and tell is a, more of a designer or a set decorator kind of thing, but did you get involved in the show and tells, like showing all the props to him? The or? whole department was sort of brought together for the show and tells. There would be that pressure on that, because, because originally uh, JJ wasn't even in the country, so he'd fly in. And so the pressure to, you know, to get things signed off, uh, we all pulled together and would be working on mood boards and ideas and models. So... Yeah, it was a very much a, a big team effort. We talked previously a little bit about this before the chat, but um, you've been buying as, I guess, things have changed quite rapidly in terms of technology. Like, have you found things change from when you started to, I guess, now and using Amazon Prime for everything, everything <laughs> yeah. in quarantine? And you try not to use Amazon Prime all the time, but it's very, you know, it becomes, it's very easy to do. Yeah. Um, and the joy of the job is going out and finding things and finding new suppliers and not just reverting to the easy click and cl- click button. Um, so that's for me, when I started the job, there was a, it was all done on the phone. I mean, you find a supplier and they, and they didn't have what you needed and they say, oh, you could try this person. And you'd spend a lot of time phoning around using the yellow pages. Um, and, you still got it done. The job was still done, but now everything's so immediate. You'll be in the middle of a field and someone will ask you for something and you just pick up your phone and you Google it and you'll find a florist or whatever it is within half a mile and you can run off and get it. But it still happened back in the day and the teams were even smaller back then, but I don't know. Uh, I think 
the demands because because things can change so quickly and people can re- request things and it and it will happen um yeah people were used to saying no but i want it blue instead of red or i want 20 roses on the table now and it happens but before i think people had to accept and plan a bit harder on what they wanted yeah do you think that with um i guess this kind of new quarantine way of working that um productions are going to have to be a bit more as they were in the past and like actually yes absolutely i've been talking to a lot of my colleagues about it because you won't be able to, because of the quarantine with the hire companies, you won't be able to just rush in at eight o'clock in the morning and choose another chair or another um, vase because you you won't, because you'll have to have those items in quarantine for three days before they go on the set. So it is a, it will go back to being a lot more organised, I'm hoping, which will be a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there might be a, a good outcome from this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the um, people in the various prop stores uh, working there would be relaxed and not have to have frantic people running in and demanding crockery at all times of the day. Yes, 7.30, someone sitting on the doorstep just in case the director changes his mind yeah. or her mind. So you've done, like as well as Star Wars, you've also done Justice League and other projects like that do you find that as a result i know a lot of those there's lots of rubble and destruction um do you end up looking for those bits too or do they kind of fall under another department like well weirdly rubble is set deck um unless it's falling rubble and then it becomes a special effects there's always a bit of a a gray area with rubble but actually rubble is dressing so it is under us. So uh, whether it's dummy rubble made out of polystyrene or real rubble, um, yes, that's us. I I want when I was doing the film Brothers Grimm, we had a uh, on the stage we had a the top of a tower, and then on the second part of the stage we had to have a collapsed bottom of the tower, and. When we looked at the model, it was a, a big deal. I mean, it was a whole collapsed tower, a Rapunzel-esque type tower. And we stood around the model with the designer and the supervising art director and the construction manager, and they all looked at us and said, well, that's set deck. And we said, you're joking. That's a whole <laughs> collapsed tower. And they went, no, that's set deck. So then we had to employ a team of um, prop men who were chiselling out polystyrene blocks plasterers then to plaster them painters to paint them and then we had to dress this collapsed tower but that was set deck wow that's, <laughs> that's fun um yeah those gray areas are always quite interesting i find um yeah there's always the, the other gray area is the flooring yeah of course wall coverings normally come to are us wallpaper uh, but flooring is a bit of a grey one. Sometimes lino and carpet are us, but stone floor is construction. But but if it's tiled, then it could become a bit greyer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's good to iron those things out before the, before you fix on your budget, and then you then you think, well, I've got a healthy budget for this set, and then the designer wants this beautiful mosaic floor, <laughs> and the construction manager says, well, that's you, and <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So in terms of budgeting, like, um, do you when you start a new project, um, the set decorator has already got their budget. Do you then create your own one to kind of like compare and contrast? Or no, normally I work with the set decorator and we create the budget together. Okay, great. And it's good to just bounce off one another because you're, you know, with both of you having experience, um, you'll, you'll say, oh, so-and-so's sitting room. Um, well, how long are we in there for? How much do we want to spend? How big a feature is this? Oh, we're, we're in that sitting room for weeks on end. We're really going to have to pull the stops out on this so you know you say well that's 20,000 oh no 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 it's way going to be way more than that it's a three-week uh shoot you need two weeks to dress you need a, then a couple of weeks to clear it then you sort of say well that's okay so that's bumped it up until to this much of higher but we're going to have to pay for carpet and it's it's always good to bounce off one another and get an idea of what they want and then you and you say, well, the curtains or their blinds or the, what's the lighting like? Um, and then you sort of build up the image and the picture and then add a little bit of contingency. Always have your contingency. Yeah. Um, so then when you're, when you're actually um, out buying on a job, for example, like, I guess something uh, more like, you know, for example, when you did where we, with Marilyn and there's less kind of rubble, destruction and pipes. Like, <laughs> do, you, um, do you like to go into a prop company or wherever you're going and kind of fill the props and maybe just kind of explore and play around? Or oh, yeah, do you that's have, the like, best thing. That's the best bit of the job. That's definitely the best bit of job, going out and sourcing. Um, and my week with Marilyn was a joy of a job to do, actually. It was, it was low budget. Um, so we had to be really mindful. Um, but yeah, that was mostly hires, a few purchases, but mostly hires mm-hmm. and a few, you know, we, things where we reupholstered and, but yeah, in the main, it was hires and actually filming at Pinewood where my week with Marilyn, where Marilyn was making the film, um, the showgirl, the prince and the showgirl. So we were, so that was quite lovely, actually, being in that. And the loveliest moment on that one was where we had the set of The Prince and the Showgirl with the vintage cameras and the actors operating the vintage cameras and the sound booms and everything, and then step back from that. And then you had us, the contemporary crew. So looking back on that scene was really lovely. And then, yeah, seeing seeing her come out as Marilyn and thinking, yep, she can pull this one off. <laughs> and that was a joy of a film, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's a period film and, you know, you've done lots of different periods and kind of worlds, let's say. Um, in terms of research, how do you begin a project? Like, what's your, your starting block generally? Well, with most films, there's a, there's a key theme to it so obviously my week Marilyn was all about her and so there was so there's so many um, images and documents out there to help Uh, with the king's speech I had to get into the world of the birth of radio and how uh, 
that was all changing. Um, so lots of research into microphones and the BBC and going to the BBC Museum. Um, so there's always something to learn, which which makes the job fresh because each each job is different and you you learn so much about i mean on the cronenberg film i had to learn all about um tattoo machines something i'd never thought i'd have to learn about but i ended up going to the museum of tattooing in goodness knows where um and so yeah that is the joy each job you learn about a different element of life and and then you promptly forget all about it <laughs> afterwards <laughs> when someone asks you and you think, I should really remember that. I learned all about dolls' houses in, in, on my week with Marilyn, and, and, uh, but then I've forgotten all the knowledge I had, but clearing space for the next job. So back on prop houses, like I, I know obviously there are different ways of going about it, but do you have any tips of being efficient in prop houses and kind of getting what you need as quickly and efficiently as possible? Well, having done it for the length of time I've done it, I kind of know a lot of the stock. And I know the... So instantly I'll say, oh, there's that lovely desk at Farley's, or, oh, there's that beautiful um, uh, pedestal at uh, Eccentric. Or Classic have got that run of really good chairs. So I, I have that inbuilt in me but also obviously they're building up their stock the whole time as well and 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 they'll send me things say oh look at this new suite we've bought or this lovely silverware set we've just in just acquired so yeah that that's does help having that knowledge Hmm. and also you know having having the having the relationship which is very important with the with the store with the hire companies that you can phone them up and say can you send me a picture of that or the dimensions of this sofa? I, the, the green one, you know, the one with the damask um, uh, pattern. And you know, they instantly help you out most of the time. Yeah, that's great. I, um, yeah, I, I, a, a long time ago, I met a designer who said that they, whenever they look at films and stuff and TV, they can't but you know, notice there's a couch from Super Hire or there's a lamp from Modern or, or whatever. Do you find yourself watching films and knowing exactly where everything? People from? ask me that all the time. They do ask me that question. And I, in the main, if the film is good, then I, I'll watch it as a film. Yeah. But if it's, if the dialogue is bad and it's, and it's not a good film, then I'll start to get wandering and start noticing things. Yeah. I mean, there's, no, yeah, there's, there's obviously there are going to be key pieces, like in Gladiator, they they have this this very expensive bust from Farley's, which is quite prominent, and you'll you know you can't help but notice that, but it doesn't detract from the from the film because it's a great film, um, and that's quite a, a well known piece at Farley's because it's really expensive to hire. So you know, wow, they had some money to hire that one. <laughs> Or there's a painting, you know, that's really expensive to hire and, that, and that's in the background, then, yeah, you will notice. Yeah. But 
in the main if it's a good film it's a good film yeah and you just enjoy it there are certainly a few props that i've seen in prop houses that it's been my life ambition to find a way to hire them and they're often the yeah. most like completely re- like you would never have it like there's this kind of mad clown in super hire that i really want to hire but i would just <laughs> never use it and it's so expensive for what it is but, yeah um that's quite fun um yeah so in terms of working with a, a set decorator um how how do you find the dy- again i know we've talked about it a little bit but the dynamic in terms of um do they kind of say we've got a room i want kind of some chairs and a table and then you kind of go and find them references or how's the well sometimes sometimes you go out with them which is really lovely um especially if you haven't worked with them before so it's good to to do that because then you get a feel for their their eye um or sometimes they go out on their own and they 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 source it without you and then you get the bill and you say whoa there <laughs> we can't afford that what were you thinking um can we not have five rather than ten um so it's a bit of give and take sometimes you have to say look we, we really can't this this bill's come in do we really need 10 pedestals can we not get away with six and they say no I want 10 and then you say okay well we're gonna have to really cut back on the the drapes you can't have 100 pounds a meter fabric it has to be within 50 so it's working with them being being the baddie a lot of the time and saying we can't afford it but trying to make it work say okay well what about if we take money out of this set and cut back so bit of give and take because it's not my money it's the studio's money and at the end of the day it's a business so the bottom line is you have to come in within, within budget yeah and then say for example the I don't know uh, the director suddenly starts asking for a load of random brand new things that you haven't budgeted for and you know exactly that like this new thing that they're asking for is gonna add quite a bit of money to the buying how do you go about kind of working that out if the director's screaming for it you get it you you don't turn around to the, and say no but what you do do is you tell production this has been asked for it's going to cost us another ten thousand pounds and they will say find it in your budget in the main but at least you flagged it and said this is a situation as long as you flag it and say this has happened i will try and work it into the budget but if I can't just want you to be aware that there's a disparity of £10,000 um, I've never had a producer say turn around and say don't get it for the director mm. <laughs> they they all say make him happy make her happy get it yeah so with the with the the budgeting, do you find that you're having to send updates every week to production or the? Oh, I always do update. Yeah, weekly updates, absolutely. But for my peace of mind as well, yeah, I have to do it. I mean, I'm daily entering, and when you're on a busy production and you have, let's say, three or more assistant set decorators racing round booking things, you need to know exactly where you stand and you've got a petty cash buyer going around with four thousand pounds ten thousand pounds and they're off to the market you need to be totally on it so the on the bigger jobs you i'm basically spending 90 percent of my time in front of the laptop now which 
it's sad because the joy, I, the thing I love is going out and sourcing and meeting suppliers and meeting new people. And, and But that's the nature of how we are at the moment. I mean, the budget's getting, when you're responsible for three million pounds, you've got to make sure you, you know where it's being spent. Yeah, no, completely. And, you know, if you've got a petty cash buyer going off to a market to buy a rug and then they spend four grand on a hundred pound rug, yeah. <laughs> um, do you find that happens much where I know obviously you want to have the best team possible but miscommunications can happen like what do you do if someone outrageously overspends in a situation uh, like well you try you try and explain I mean fortunately in the teams I've worked with recently I haven't had much of that I mean there's been a few last minute panics where the yeah, things could have been avoided but in the main people people know that I will tell them okay this is what you've got for this set um you can only spend 5000 on props for that set or you you're going out to the market that there's normally a cap anyway you can't you can't spend more than 200 pounds without getting prior approval so people don't tend to go and spend money without checking in. Mm. Um, they're a bit more respectful about the money. Yeah. So in terms of um, moving on to like more hand props and stuff, uh, for example, like, I don't know, weapons and things. So you did uh, A Knight's Tale, which I loved as a film. Um, there's lots <laughs> of swords and jousting equipment. Um, does that fall under you? Or I know there are armourers involved. Like, how does that... How do you differentiate? Well, that was my like first that? ever job. So actually, I was learning. I was, I was learning everything on that job. Um, <laughs> uh, that fell under the prop department, and but was overseen by the art directors because we, the uh, jousts, um, the lances, sorry, uh, had to be made in three different types of materials. They had to be lightweight. They had to be. They would have to have various different types of breaks in them for what the stunt required. Um, so the it was a big old job running the uh, the lances. I mean, there, we had a manufacturing team constantly making, uh, painting, and turning them around because we just got through so many. But my main job on that um, was looking after the horses and the tack, um, and. Uh, because we made all the made all the costumes and the and the saddles and bridles and stunt saddles so and uh yes so my my job was making sure <laughs> they all fitted as the different horses were brought in because the stunt horse would come in and it was half the size of the original horse or and then suddenly it'd be like we have to make this look right but yes that was my first ever job wow so were you, were you literally getting out a um, I don't know, some form of measuring device and measuring the horse just to make sure that the saddles would fit. We and... had costume fittings. We had lots of costume fittings and uh, a, a team of, of uh, cost wardrobe people making wow. and adjusting and repairing constantly. Um, yeah, it was a full-time job. And then, and obviously, and then spraying the horse's legs. So they changed the horse around and it wouldn't, it have a white sock and, but the original horse didn't, so you'd have to spray paint it its leg black. Um, so <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. 
Um, and then the actual weapons itself, like the swords, um, on, say, other films, um, is it always the prop department that would kind of get a hold of them? or? Yeah, in the main, because we because of the the big studio films are all now run in the American system, which means that the prop master is in charge of hand props and weapons. Um, so, yeah, in the last... Goodness knows how many years. Yes, I haven't had to do anything with weapons. Okay. Well, that's a shame. Are you a fan of weapons or not so much? I have done weapons. No, I mean, on, on smaller jo- on smaller TV job, I did... Um, uh, what did I do? Henry the Fourth. I did all the weapons for that. Um, and what else have I done recently where I've done all the weapons? Oh, I can't think. I have done weapons and it's fun. And uh, yeah. Anything from guns to swords, yes. Being a buyer on features and TV, do you find that there's much of a difference um, in terms of the projects you've worked on, at least? Mainly, mainly the budget. Mainly the budget. Um, but it can be quite refreshing, actually, because, as you say, you have to think around problems. You can't just throw money at it. So... Okay, well, we can't achieve that, but what? How can we do this? Or we'll, and actually, sometimes you come up with some really creative ideas to make it work. So I actually quite enjoy that. And the teams are smaller, and I I quite like smaller teams as well because get on with it. There's not a hundred people to get an opinion on on one thing. You just yeah, make it happen. It sounds a bit more relaxing, actually. <laughs> Uh, yes and no, not, not relaxing, but uh, the decisions are made faster, which is, is good. You can move on. Whereas if you can imagine on The Last Star Wars, to get a decision on the smallest thing could take weeks and weeks and weeks and endless, endless meetings and discussions and visuals. Um, whereas you haven't got that luxury on TV. Did you find on, say, on the Star Wars, so you went through all these endless meetings, but then you'd still have to have free options of something just in case they changed their mind on set? Or by the time you got to the shoot, had they kind of decided? Uh, I think they pretty much decided because it was, because everything was made, if you can imagine. So you, you couldn't have the luxury of having three whatever laser guns made. It had to, you know... There was a lot of money in the makes. In fact, basically, it was all, you know, all the money was spent on the makes and purchases. There weren't any hires, really. Just a few odd bits. But, yeah, so that was a different type of budgeting. Budgeting a whole team of labour and materials to make things, which which was new to me. I've never done anything that large. I mean, yes, Justice League was a lot of makes, but not all makes. So when, when your department's mostly spending the money on actual makes as opposed to going out and sourcing, like what what do your team end up looking for on the whole? Well, you're sourcing things that can be mm-hmm. adapted. So on Star Wars, I went to India to have a look at um, things that we could get in and, and change and adapt. Um, and I also went to Poland to a military breakers and bought a load of, um, items, generators, uh, computer bits, which actually had a nice, nice feel to them because they had it was different to the UK 
um, military bits that we had. So, yeah, you're still buying stuff because you can't, can't make everything from scratch. It, and that's what gives it a bit more of an interesting feel. You, it's finding items and then putting them together and say, well, if we added that and painted it that colour and put a bit of pipe on this, suddenly you've got a vaporator or whatever the thing is. So, you know, it was the third of, of, well, obviously free, but they did have some other movies in between. Like, did they, did you get to use some of the props from previous films? Or? Oh yeah, you have to, you, you, ha- you yeah. can't not, because the wealth of, of stock is amazing that's been mm. created. Um, and also, you couldn't physically do everything from, from the beginning, from scratch, because you haven't got the time. Because to make a vaporator or to make a generator you know when it takes a long time you've got to have it drawn up you've got to find the items draw it up make it well if that's just one element of a set so on star wars there is this amazing wealth and as i said you'd be crazy not to use it because and and you couldn't not because the budget wouldn't allow even though the budget was amazingly generous we yeah we couldn't have made everything so in terms of like, you know, you went to India for that job in particular, do you travel much for work and how do you find it in terms of buying? Uh, I don't tend to leave the country very often, actually, sadly. Um, no, but I know a lot of people do go to to Italy and um, France and get props from there, but I haven't had the that luxury on the last few, few jobs. Um, I have worked I've worked in Prague and sourced while I've been out there but that's the closest I've got. Hmm. Well maybe after the next one you'll get to do a bit more travelling and hunting around. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um in terms of uh, I guess assistants and petty cash buyers and people in your team um what do you look for in a new recruit? or someone to keep on as a continuing recruit? Uh, the main is, the, is enthusiasm. Someone who comes in with an absolute uh, joy for the job, who, who just wants to do it. Um, someone who's, who's got a creative background, who, um, who's just ready to throw themselves into whatever you offer, you know, whether it's unloading the dishwasher or researching or filing, but just someone who's got a smile on their face and ready just to muck in. And you can normally tell pretty instantly when someone walks through the door. Yeah. And then say you do have someone who they initially have a bit of a smile, but I guess because features being more like a marathon and, you know, weak, weak, five or six and the smile starting to deplete how do you <laughs> how do you keep your your team kind of not losing their minds when they start to get a bit more tired and fatigued like part way through a job i don't know we've you everyone has days where they they're not they don't feel it they're tired they didn't get a good night's sleep but you just you've just got to always try and realize how lucky you are to do the job you do um, it is a privilege and we're not saving lives. We are in a, in a 
great job. So you have to, at the end of the day, remember that. And because the hours are so long, um, you shouldn't do the job unless you really want to do the job. Yeah, I mean, it would be crazy. I remember being in like an abandoned prison really late and it was just rolling on and on and I was just drilling into a wall using the only bits that I had that weren't quite good enough and you just kind of wonder, <laughs> wonder what you're doing. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But it's all about having a good team of people. Yes. It's, yeah. I'm lucky I work with some brilliant people and that's, yeah, that's what makes the job yeah. so so fun because it is a team team effort. Yeah. When you're out sourcing and when you are actually allowed to leave your computer and you know actually like get down into the depths of whichever prop house you go to what would be your kind of your key tool that you'd bring with you aside from are there any kind of like tips of things that you bring that someone might not think of aside from the usual tape measure and camera device uh no that's usually that's it tape measure and a camera um yeah, and, and laptop, because actually now you can do your, you can actually do the orders as mm. you go, because everything's digital. So you could actually literally, if it's a, one of those rush jobs and you and you need it to take it with you and you need to do the paperwork, you can do it there and then. Um, which I love the new system, mm. rather than the old handwriting and faxing, which was very painful when you're doing that at nine o'clock at night, writing out. 20 orders and having to fax them um no it's all very quick and easy now yeah but then it's i guess it's funny that some i know some prop houses aren't automated in their in their words and like some are still very much handwritten um oh yeah uh, which, which can be yes. hard as i mean i'm dyslexic and I, I, you know it's my spelling rather than my my reading but you know some of them are quite yeah. difficult to comprehend um <laughs> So it's more of a statement. Yeah, I'm than dyslexic a too. I feel your I feel your pain. Yeah, so that's why I'm why I'm glad I don't have to handwrite everything <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Um yes. There's there's only a few that are like that. Um but it's I think it's harder on the prop prop men who have to try and decipher what, what's written on the yeah. page than what because you you've got you know what it is, you know what that vase looks like because you've booked mm. it or you've got and you've got the image. But they don't know what a blue swirly vase with chip in bottom looks yeah. like. And they've got to try and figure out what it is when they've got 500 other items to unpack. Do you ever end up getting called up by the props department to inquire as to what something is? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, you have to work very closely with the props department um, because you need to know that, you know, the stuff's is going back when it's supposed to go back and if it's not going back it, why is there a problem are they as the director wanting to hold on to it for reshoots or so you mentally know well there's going to be an extended hire on that um and also things that you need to sell at the end if there is if you are selling how you can try and get ahead of the game or things you can donate to charities that's you know it's important to try and you know work as you go through and think or oh, there's other films that you could sell on to so yeah that's when you work yeah. quite closely 
And they can also recommend, because they, everyone knows each other, so they'll say, oh, so-and-so film's coming to an end. They've got a load of candles that they're going to get rid of. Great. We need thousands of candles. Let's get buy them off there. So, yeah. That's great. Like, I, like, I really love when films and commercials are able to kind of, like, reuse and, and move on. Do you have any particular charities that you'd always send things to or is, does it really depend um, on the project well it depends where you are actually when which studio you're out of um the last the last uh job i did was cruella before um and we gave a lot to theater companies uh some of the, all the fabrics um but it was a disney job so you firstly you have to get it approved through disney that it's a registered charity so there was a lot of paperwork to do um and we did sell a lot of items back to the higher some higher companies because we purchased a lot on that job um but yeah i'm i hate wastage so if i can give to charities schools african stationery it's another big one you end up with boxes of stationery you can give those to um uh, the african charity um i know uh, a, a very good friend of mine's working closely with bektu to try and promote charities and get a get a list together that would be available to all productions to use at the end of end of filming that they stuff does not get thrown away because there should be should be as little wastage as possible i mean that would be great if there was a a a list because i know a few places and i know that the apa has has some like some companies that they recommend for commercials but if there was some kind of list for both features tv and commercials it'd be great to share with whoever i guess yeah well they're they're Um, literally working on it at the moment so um hopefully yeah that will be out there for when lockdown releases yeah um yeah so i guess for my my final question um so uh lockdown what have you been doing to stay artistically sane and motivated (laughs) um gardening is my pleasure nice and actually and that has been my canvas and it's been an absolute joy because the weather's been so good so Mm. a lot of gardening a lot of walking in the countryside um i have two teenage children to motivate which is not always a joy um and (laughs) yeah i've been getting lots of jobs done in the house that have been nagging but it's been, I have been, I'd had quite a nice experience of it. Luck, you know, I feel almost guilty to say, because I've never, I haven't had this amount of time off for years and years and years. So I've, I've considered it a bit of a gift. Yeah. Financially not a gift, but, <laughs> but that's, yeah. Yeah. You can't have everything. Of course. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I said last question, but as a, as a continuing last question, so you, you don't live in London when you do work in jobs in London, do you have to get hotels or do you just drive up from home or how does it work really? So it depends on which studio. So if I'm working at Pinewood, I commute. It's an hour, just over an hour, an hour and 15. If I, same with Leavesden, I can commute to Leavesden. But if it's Shepparton, I will stay. So, yeah. Okay. All right, amazing. Well, thanks so much for your, your time. And um, yeah, I look forward to reading that list when it comes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be, it'd be good for everybody.
show's intro was composed by Sam McGraw, mixed by Max Bloom, and the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski. <laughs>